welcome to the Is That So podcast. My name is Sahela and I am the host and chief content officer here at the Is That So podcast. Follow along each week as I share stories, pose questions, and provide insights on various wellness, travel, and relationship topics aimed to help us all navigate through this rapidly evolving modern world a little bit easier. Here at the Is That So podcast, we believe that life should always be a work in progress. So come learn, laugh, and listen in on unfiltered stories and conversations so that we can open new doors to inspiration, happiness, and forward thinking together. Hello, and welcome back to the Is That So podcast. Today on the podcast, I have invited besties Rachel Pilotti and Janelle Reasoner to come on the show and talk to us about childhood sickness and the effects it can have long after recovery. For those who don't know Janelle and Rachel, they are co-creators and co-hosts of the True North Collective podcast. Their podcast facilitates community spaces for honest reflection, self-inquiry, light movement, and real conversations that celebrate being a work in progress, as well as finding and living one's true north. Having also experienced childhood sickness myself, I thought it'd be interesting to compare notes with Rachel about her experience as a childhood cancer survivor and the implication it had on her psyche as she grew up. Also, as Rachel's bestie, I thought it would be helpful to hear from Janelle as well about how she was able to connect to Rachel's sickness and hold space for conversations around it versus trying to ignore the elephant in the room. Since today's subject matter may be triggering for some, I just want to let everyone know listening that I have put a link to Checkpoint Org in the description of this episode where you can easily find a number to your local helpline should you feel you need it. But without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome Janelle and Rachel to the show. Hello, ladies. Hello. 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 Super excited to be here. You made it. You made it sound Thank you. so awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, I want to talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I know today's subject matter can be a tough one to talk about, especially for those who are like currently experiencing or know someone who is experiencing childhood sickness. So I really appreciate you both taking the time to come on and share your perspectives and experience. I am sure many people will walk away from this episode feeling empowered. So thank you for being a guiding light. To start, I thought it would be great if Rachel could share more about her experience with childhood sickness and the struggles that came along with it. Yeah. So I was 14 and I was in biology class and the teacher had us do reports on diseases Mm -hmm. and she walked around the room and the diseases were on pieces of paper in a basket and you reached your hand in and grabbed a random one and I picked Hodgkin's lymphoma and lo and behold, several months later, after I turned the paper in, that is what I had. And oh so my I know it was super crazy. Um, and so I would say, like, what do I really want to say about the experience? I, I pretty much tried to get through it as fast as I could. Mm-hmm. I did everything that I continued to do beforehand. I didn't stop. I never took a break. I wanted everybody to just treat me exactly the same. And I wanted to move on with my life and never have to look at it again. Mm -hmm. And that um, there's a lot of stuff that happened concurrently with being sick, being a freshman in high school, like the gamut of all the things that come with that alongside being sick and becoming the center of attention for reasons that you really (laughs) don't want was a whole bag of 
Do you feel like your peers or were you worried about your peers pitying you or tiptoeing around you? Or can like, can you share that a little bit more about that? I I went to a pretty big high school. I want to say there was like a thousand people in my graduating class. And so I, I experienced a lot of it. So yes, there was for sure pity. There was for sure, honestly, bullying. Wow. Yeah, there was, I, I, got comments from people like, I'm so jealous of how much attention you're getting. Um, What? mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had some really weird stuff uh, happen. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really feel like I had a lot of people I could talk to. I feel like now, so I'm 24 years in remission. Holy shit, that's so much. Um, Yeah. And so- (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was like back then- it wasn't cool. And not that it's cool now, but it was like, I feel like now I've been a part of like, where I see big efforts of high schoolers, like rallying around, you know, a classmate that might have cancer or something. That is not what happened for me at all. Um, There was a lot of, I feel like there was still a lot of stigma around it back then. There might still be now. I'm pretty far removed from, from, you know, what it's like to be in high yeah, school, in high school. And, and sick. Same. Yeah. Same. But, but yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I experienced all of it. I experienced people who were really close to me who just basically stopped, like couldn't even look at me in the eyes. Yeah. People stopped being friends with our family, people thinking that they had the answers, people saying, asking my parents, like, what did you feed her? Um, how did she get it? Wow. Yeah. Just like yeah. uneducated. Yeah. And it that's, That is the funny thing, because had you not picked that little piece of paper out of that hat, you would probably walked into this not knowing anything either. But it's almost like, I mean, I believe the universe has a way of showing you the way. And maybe like they were kind of not giving you a heads up, but like, like at least a little bit more prepared. Yeah, honestly, well, Hodgkin's lymphoma itself is like, there's not a ton, like you have trouble breathing, you get night sweats. It's not like a lot of real obvious symptoms. And I was a dancer. Mm-hmm. So like looking back on it, like I was like, yeah, I was thirsty. I mean, I danced constantly yeah. <laughs> yeah. and having trouble breathing. I mean, I don't know. I'm like working out all the time. Yeah. Like, night sweats. I don't really know what to compare it to. And so I don't know if I necessarily felt more prepared, but I definitely down the road was like, oh my gosh, I think my soul like reached through my hand and grabbed that. Because when I went to the doctor, so basically when I turned the paper in, everybody was talking about the symptoms of their diseases and they, they, they had cooler symptoms than mine. And so I was like, my paper was so boring. I know this is terrible, but I was just like, oh, my paper was so boring, blah, blah, blah. Mine was like, have trouble breathing. And when I put my hand on my chest, my left, my middle finger, my right hand grazed my left collarbone. And I could, I felt something that I knew immediately was like, that's not normal. I don't know what it is, but that's not normal. Yeah. And it was, it was like a golf ball sized tumor underneath my clavicle. It wasn't sticking out. But when we went to the doctor, the doctor was like, you just have a cold with swollen lymph nodes, like it's fine. And I was like, dude, I haven't had a cold for like several months or several years. But I was like, but if you say I don't have it, then woo! Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, 
and like, luckily my dad, my dad's a biomedical engineer. And so he was like, no, 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 we're having, we're getting a second opinion and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, it was that. So yeah, yeah, it's so crazy. But I do believe that something was like, something in me was working through me to like, be like, we ain't done yet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's crazy. And it sounded like you were displaying extreme independence. Like you just wanted to do what you had to do, whatever was necessary in order just to like move through this and have it put behind you. And it's almost like it sounds at least to me that you weren't giving room to process it. 100%. Yeah. (laughs) I laugh because it's they only like it's not funny at all. Um, no, but, but that's what we do when things are hurtful, right? Is we create humor out of them. Yeah. That's the how, that's how we can process them. That's that's how it makes things so much easier to process. Yeah. No, I feel I feel so seen right now. I'm like, whoa! You just knew that that's what happened because of what I explained. That never happens. So well, that's because that's kind of what I did too. <laughs> it's like okay, so essentially, I got sick when I was like five years old, and I was hospitalized here in Toronto for several months. And at first, the doctors thought I had leukemia. But after further testing, they realized I had thrombocytopenia, which is like a condition where your body doesn't produce enough white blood cells. So, you know, my legs were like riddled with welts and bruises when my mom brought me in. She was like, there is something wrong with my daughter. Like, this is not normal. And the doctors told her that they had to keep me at the hospital because I was at risk for internal bleeding if I like bumped my head or whatever. So... I was there for a couple months and I remember being taken out of school and I would like I was I was sent like a lot of like nice cards like craft cards that the kids at school made me I was only five right so I feel like it was a completely different experience as being a high schooler but yeah they just pumped me full of steroids which you know made me blow up like Violet Beauregard and I remember being in the hospital bed watching like cartoons and the nurse had to come in and take all these blood samples and like they'd be pricking my fingers several times a day to scan you know for blood counts and I just remember like they would be so sore and I'd have to look at them and then pick which one was the least sore for her to prick and get another blood sample and I just remember like also feeling so like guilty about how much fuss people were making over me and you know I could tell my family was really worried about me and I thought it was my job to like minimize their anxiety and especially because I was the cause of it so I feel like because of that I've always had this extreme independent nature, but only after doing some healing, I realized that, oh, that was a trauma response that I carried throughout the rest of my life because I felt like I was a burden or people were making a fuss or I felt guilty. Are we the same person? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that there might, there might be similarities between just people who experience childhood sickness. Yeah. No, the, the, the burden piece is like such a total, totally like I'm just now starting to unwrap even like codependency, like that turned into codependency across all my relationships where Mm -hmm. I felt like I needed to manage who I was being to ensure that other people felt comfortable with who I am. 
And Mm -hmm. it spilled beyond the sickness. It just like, it took over everything. And I genuinely believed that, that I was a burden on people and that I was going to be too much. Like it's it's sad actually. The burden piece is super interesting too, because we, we had a podcast episode back in late December and I'm sure we'll get to this part, but just adding in, I think that's the exact phrase that I use to talk about. Um, I had recently moved back in with my parents and just trying to navigate, like coming into a space as a new person. And it, it's just interesting that you said that because that was exactly, I was like, sometimes I feel like who I am is a burden on other people. And I'm sure we'll start to tie those parallels, but I just wanted to add that that's really interesting that the word choice actually that we just had on our podcast overlapped as well. Yeah, it's really interesting how like we can always put these expectations on other people when we're really just projecting our own insecurities. Because I don't think my mom would have ever been like, you're a burden. (laughs) Like, why do you have to be sick right now? (laughs) You know, she would have never been like that. But we we put our own baggage onto other people and we feel like we're the cause of their anxiety and we feel guilty and you know, they're, they're creating such a fuss and you just, you just want to be okay so that they'll be okay. It's, it's interesting. Do you remember when you were five? You remember all of that? Yes. I, well, I don't remember everything from when I'm five. I remember that because it was traumatic and I remember my fingers being sore and, and then I have like really happy memories from when I'm five and my mom took us to Tuscany for the summer. So, you know, like I I don't remember anything else, but I do remember like getting lots of cards and eating lots of soup and being in my bed, my hospital bed and watching cartoons and the the toy room at the hospital. I remember that. It's interesting because I don't remember. And when I went NED, um, no evidence of disease, which they didn't call it that back then. But I recently joined an adult young cancer group and I'm learning all the new lingo um, <laughs> yeah, 20 years later, it's, you know, it's never too late. Um, yeah, it's never too late. Life is a work in progress. Come yeah, on. exactly. But when I left the hospital, I don't, I don't remember this either, but my parents told me that everybody was like cheering. Cause I think that's, again, I, I don't know if they do that anymore because it's a little bit insensitive for the people that are going through treatments and they may not make it. Um, but I think that was like a a longstanding tradition for a while. So anyways, they celebrated me out. I don't remember that. And then we got in the elevator and I was like, woo, apparently I was like, woo, yay, I made it, I did it. And then the elevator door shut. And my dad said that I went like, it was like basically robot. Like I just, my expression just like dropped. And then he was like, Ray, are you okay? And I was like, we will never talk about this ever again. And just like dead, dead straight. And he was just wow. like, and then we never did. And so they didn't because yeah. they were kind of like, well, shit, we don't want to like, whatever their reasons, you know, they were trying to honor me, but we never talked about it. And so for a very long time, I- Did you wish, did you, sorry, did you wish you talked about it? Oh yeah. A hundred percent, hundred, yeah. hundred million percent. There's so many things that happened that were misconstrued in my brain. Yeah. And because I didn't have the facts- I made up the worst case scenario and mm-hmm. I had nothing to prove otherwise. And so it was this really crazy self-fulfilling prophecy until I finally started talking about it. Actually, when I moved to Vancouver, I started doing like personal development things with the company I was working for. And it was the first time that I like really started 
asking myself questions about like what I wanted with my life and having to reopen some boxes that I'd kind of like shoved down and oh yeah yeah and then it was like I finally had an aha that I had identified more with the cancer than my own self and so when people would hate on cancer and it, it was like it's like because the disease was in me yeah it's like everything was directed at me and I didn't know how to delineate that they're mad at the disease that just happens to be in your body, not you. And Mm -hmm. so that was a big awakening for me. And that's kind of what got my family to start talking. And I was like, I have to know. And they were like, oh my gosh, we were all bawling. Yeah. And they were like, we tried to honor you and we want to talk about it too. And it's been a slow, a slow journey of unpacking, but the biggest thing I learned there was like, I was afraid that I had this like massive, like thing that I was so, that was so terrible that my brain wouldn't allow me to remember it. And then my dad was like, Ray, the chemotherapies make you have memory loss. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, seriously? <laughs> Holy crap. Well, so I just, didn't even know that. I didn't know that. I mean, I thought I you were doing it as like a protection so mechanism. Did I. I was like, yeah. man, I must have experienced some. I mean, and I did. Like, there's some like there's some traumatic stuff that really should have been talked about. But it, on the whole, like in my what I really thought I was going to uncover wasn't. But I, I don't remember any of the good stuff. I, yeah. I don't remember the bad stuff, and then the stories that I created off the bad stuff. So. Yeah. So how long did it take you to like actually start talking about it? Oh my gosh, this is 15 years. Okay. Yeah. That's and crazy. if you would have met me, like everyone who knew me in my 20s was like, oh my God, you're so like fun. Like, yeah. But deep down inside, I was just, I was just trying to mask it all. Like, I was Wait, I, that was going to be my next question. It was going to be a sliding doors question. So oh. it was going to be, how did it affect your life? And did it change trajectory and your behavior? So it's like, if you didn't have cancer, it would have gone this way. Or if like now, because you did, it went that way. I don't know. I, so I had a life coach that we talked about this once Mm -hmm. and she actually said to me, I can't totally remember the verbiage, but she was like, you may have always been, cause I think I was giving a lot of credit to my like courage and all this stuff to the the fact that I survived cancer. And I was just like, look, I had to be courageous. Like anyone who goes through that has to be courageous, like blah, 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 blah. And she was just like, so now you're not giving yourself any credit for being that because you think the only reason you were is because you were sick. And so it kind of has gone both ways of recognizing, like, I actually don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. I would have still shut down and or, or maybe I still would have been as courageous or maybe I still would have been, you know, all of it. And cancer was like an easy scapegoat. And, and then and then when I get there, I'm kind of like, well, does it really matter? Like, yeah. I'm here. And yeah. I mean, they do say I've learned so much from yeah, it. They do say every season has a purpose. So maybe that's it made you find mm-hmm. your courage. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That, like maybe that was just the form. Um, and maybe there was a lot of different forms that potentially could have shown up to activate yeah. that. I also know for a long time as well after I was like really scared of needles and like hated being inside hospitals and I know that like your body can hold on to trauma. And I feel like it was that finger needle pricking experience that made me so scared of needles. But did you have any like adverse reactions to the healthcare system as well? So, 
So because, so I didn't actually, I did not, which is kind of surprising, but I will tell you where, what I did have adverse. So when it came to like needles and stuff, I, I mean, I hate them. I do not like needles at all, but because I was 14 and 15, when I was sick, they gave me the choice to go to a children's hospital or an adult facility. And you're kind of like in this lost, like, we don't know where to put you. So like, yeah. we don't know. I was like the kids one because the adult one was just like so sad. Yeah. And <laughs> I go in there and I mean, it's very childish. And mm-hmm. I do remember being like, it was kind of the holidays when it happened. And I was like, I'm just going to pretend like I'm a volunteer. And so I had my like IV stand and everything. Like I was like in all the garb as a cancer patient, but yeah. I would go and basically pretend like I was a volunteer. So I'd like bring candy canes or like wear um Oh, that sounds nice. Santa hat or yeah. And just like basically be social. Be, yeah. Be social, be there for like the younger kids. And so I don't, I, I don't know. I have hospital just seems like a place that I'm going to like volunteer. I, I almost like have disconnected from like when I see photos of myself of that time, I'm like, holy shit, you were a cancer patient. Like you that's yeah. you with cancer. Like, that's you. Yeah. yeah. Look at you. That is weird. I don't think, I don't, I've, I've never seen a photo of me from that period of my life. I don't think my parents were like, I don't know, taking photos at that time. But um, yeah, I feel like I, I, I can't picture my, I have a picture of me after and I'm like a real little chub monkey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... I remember I'm like standing on my dad's shoulders in the pool and I have like a triple chin. And I was like always a scrawny little kid. <laughs> I'm like, who is this person? I, it's like I ate myself. <laughs> it's just two of me. But um, yeah, I mean, crazy. Yeah, I so I, 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 it takes a lot for me to like go to even a freaking dentist appointment. I hate it. Really? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if, so like my mom's side of the family is all surgeons. Like I was going to say 16 generations. That is not true. It's like five generations, but it's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And, and then my dad's a biomedical engineer and he was kind of a sickly kid. And so I don't like needles, but I didn't have that aversion, but I did when I went into surgery, I, they didn't really prep me all that well. So like, you didn't know what was going on. I knew what was going on, but like, I didn't know catheters were a thing or that they would be taking my underwear off. Like all this stuff that was just like, Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no one told me. And so when I woke up, I had the port in, they were like, well, you're going to wake up. We're going to go in, do the biopsy. If you have cancer, we're going to put a port in. So when I woke up, like the first thing I said was, mom, do I have the port in? And she was like, yeah, honey. And then I just rolled over and was just like, Ugh. and then as I was like coming out of the anesthesia, I was supposed to get dressed. And I was like, mom, I don't have my underwear on. And she was like, honey, like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Like everybody was just so overwhelmed by everything. Yeah. And I was just like freaked out. Like I was like, oh my gosh, there was like mal practice like what and I'm 14 so it's just like oh my god my private parts like oh it's terrible it was absolutely terrible so that to me I think has had more of an impact on my life like that experience has had more of an impact yeah than the needles and so I've, I've done quite a bit of work on like feeling empowered in terms of being being comfortable with my body and other people with my body and yeah 
what feels safe and what doesn't. What's crazy about that is like I'm even drawing a parallel where I feel like maybe my childhood sickness would have been the trauma I carry with me for the longest time, but it's not the hardest. Um, When I was 18, I was sexually assaulted, and that's something that affected me more and affected my behavior more and caused me to be way more destructive than like being sick as a, as a child. Yeah. Well, it's, it is interesting that you say that too, because the other weird thing that happened when I was in high school was this guy. And I, I've just started kind of talking about these elements because it's like the cancer kind of becomes like the central focus of everything. And then it's yeah. kind of weird to talk about like anything sexual around cancer. Like you're like, no, but this guy kind of, I mean, he, he was really, in my space more than I wanted. And he would come to basketball games and scream sexual things he wanted to do to my bald head. And he had to get removed from basketball games. What? Did he go to he'd your call school? My house. Yeah. <clears throat> and he'd call my, call our house and like basically say sexual things to me on the phone. Like I'd pick up and be like, whatever I said when I was in high school. A lot of your residents because we didn't yeah. have cell phones back then. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, we'd be sitting down at dinner and he'd be like saying sexual things. And then I just hang up and I never told anyone. I was so freaked out. Like I didn't even know what was happening. Were you, but so? Uh, did you avoid him at school or did you think he was just being like, this was a uh, joke to him? I mean, I did the be- my best to avoid him, but he would in classes, he would be behind me going boy, like a boner. He would come up to the locker and if I shut the door he would be like right there to try and like kiss me without me being in consenting at all yeah um I, I'm pretty sure he eventually got kicked out of school but I honestly I just tried to not think about it because it was so weird yeah. and so that, like those are the things now that I've like unpacked like the cancer sucks and like having people come into a room with masks on and then be like, we're going to put this thing that I'm not going to touch with through layers and layers of material. I'm going to put it into your veins. Like that's terrifying. But like the interactions with people, the way people responded and how like just the extremes of like human response, I think that's the part. And then me not having me not talking about it or feeling like there was a space to even be like, this is happening. Like what the, yeah. That, I think, has made a real lasting impact, like the interpersonal relationships that I have as a result of it. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, I want to also hear from Janelle on this, but like, so you weren't giving any room even to your friends or like, how did you let Janelle in or did she kind of force her way in? I guess (laughs) maybe we should let Janelle answer this one. Yeah. Well, I'm curious if you think I forced her in, but no. So Rachel and I originally, we work together and this is later on like Rachel you had just mentioned in Vancouver so I'd actually met Rachel after Vancouver in Milwaukee and Rachel feel free to jump in because this is obviously a part of your story but at that point you were working in a nonprofit around cancer survivorship so I feel like you were more so open about it even when you would talk about what you were doing but I think like from a a friend standpoint, it's like at that point in time, I didn't really have anyone in my life, specifically friends that had gone through cancer, you know, fortunately. And I think one of the things that was kind of more 
beautiful about our friendship and even Rachel is like, I, and again, I'm really curious, Rachel, to hear, hear your perspective on this, but like, it was something that just sort of like naturally came out because Rachel, you were so passionate about supporting others and supporting the cause. And it was almost like an invitation to be like, oh, okay, well, where's like this passion coming from? Tell me about your story. And it probably started pretty surface level, but now that we've been friends longer and we've been having all these conversations on authenticity and, you know, I still think we're probably towards the the surface of it all too, but just being able to get curious and like getting really honest on our experiences in and outside of illness and like then things just sort of naturally come up. And then Rachel also being really graceful about the fact that I feel like we play in places where we allow ourselves to ask quote unquote stupid questions. Mm -hmm. And I know that Rachel, if if something doesn't land well with her, like she's also going to tell me. And then it's like, okay, cool. Like totally get that. Thank you for letting me know. And, you know, sort of going from there, but definitely I would say not trying to force people to tell their story unless they're ready, but holding the space if they do want to open up. And I think Rachel did that for me in other facets of my life. So it was like easier to start to do that. What do you think for her in this facet? What do you think stops people, stops friends of people who are have experienced childhood sickness from like inquiring further? Do you think it's lack of courage? Do you think that they feel like rude? Do they do you feel like they think that they're gonna trigger something? Like I don't I don't get it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we're not like necessarily taught to have a lot of different hard conversations and true yes I think people perceive it as almost like a hard conversation like oh yeah I don't want to upset you I don't want to say the wrong thing yeah. I I don't even know what questions yeah. to ask yeah so it's just like uh well we're just gonna kind of ignore that this thing happened then yeah. because it can be uncomfortable and like I, you know I say that sort of jokingly but I think I was that way too like I wasn't taught really how to have hard conversations growing up yeah. and it takes practice like it takes practice and it does take like some courage and maybe even modeling from other people to be like oh that that's like possible to do but I think a lot of it's just like people might be curious but they don't want to say the wrong thing or mm-hmm. they don't know how to hold space if like it does trigger someone and then like they're crying and then you're like oh shit I made this person cry yeah. and you know which is like a even bigger conversation right of like how to not take on other people's emotions and like let them be where they're at but like, again, we're just not used to it. We haven't practiced it. Yeah. And I feel like also crying is just a part of the healing journey. So if I'm crying, I'm crying. Hold me. <laughs> like, this is, you're you're in it with me now. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I was crying the other day and someone's like, do you want sunglasses? Because I was in public. And I was like, no, like, I don't care if anyone else feels uncomfortable. I'm going to be crying. <laughs> like, y'all can watch me cry. I'm not embarrassed by it. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, too, it's almost harder I am almost more protective of my, and maybe it's just where I'm at in the journey of, I think I'll probably always be wrestling with the experience that I had in different facets, but like talking about the cancer and even sharing like what I did today, like I'm kind of patting myself on the back of like, when I met Janelle, I was trying to learn how to own the story for me not the story that I had curated for other people. And I feel like today I actually shared my version of the experience that I had, not the version that was going to make everybody be like, you're such a courageous human. Like, oh my gosh, let me put you on this pedestal. And then I'm like, I am going to fall and fail. Like, don't put me up there, please. Because I am just a human. But the part that has been that I'm more protective of now is actually 
like the I would say like the long term PTSD, like like the yeah. the the real emotional instabilities that that show up like the real triggers the real moments where I feel so overwhelmed I'm totally just like taken to this other place and I and like to be 24 years in remission from something it's not the first thought of people that like oh maybe something that's happening right now maybe related to this the fact that she had to face her own mortality at 14 and 15, it's like, mm-hmm. what the fuck's wrong with you? Like, why are you freaking out right now about this? And I mean, nobody's saying those words yeah. exactly, but that's the part that is actually the struggle now is like, how do I own it in a way, especially with new people of like, okay, so sometimes like these things are going to trip me up a little bit and you don't have to worry. I'm I, you know, I have support systems in place and I am really fun, but I also sometimes experience life a lot with a lot more depth and heaviness and, you know, I, I'm still figuring it out, but yeah. I think that's the part that's actually harder. Yeah. I've, I'm finding harder now than talking about the fact that I had cancer. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you unpack that because I feel like there's definitely like PTSD that comes from being in a situation like that or like being sick as a kid. I've never really addressed that, but I do know that I do suffer from PTSD. I always thought it is from my sexual assault, but you never know there could like I obviously after, you know, leaving the hospital and being able to go home like continued to display extreme independence and always made sure I got good grades up in time for school. Like my mom didn't have to do anything. And I was like always getting good grades and making sure that I was like doing exactly as I should be doing. So she didn't have to worry about me and she didn't worry about me. And I wouldn't talk to her about things that I was experiencing, even if I was getting bullied. And even today, like having conversations with my mom around me being sexually assaulted is like the last thing I want to freaking do. Like I would rather talk to a hundred strangers before, you know, or like my friends before I talk to her, because that would be had such a hard conversation to have. And like, hear her experience and also hear that pain again that she had to experience and remember and bring up all of these things that I don't even want to like probably process and really go through with a fine tooth comb. And then I'm also like, it's in the past. So why am I still living in the past? How can I move forward and and look forward instead of carrying all this baggage? So you have to you have to do some processing. Totally. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate you calling out the embarrassment of having to have that conversation with your mom because I have often been pretty hard on myself that I couldn't say something to my parents about, you know, that that guy or like really drilling into like why I didn't have underwear coming out of surgery. Like I remember feeling so humiliated. Yeah. That I like, and I was like, I can't talk to them about that. And I do now, but it just, I don't know. I just appreciate the fact that I don't, I feel like I have permission that it was okay that I didn't feel comfortable talking to my parents about that. That's another thing that I've learned on this healing journey is that this journey is really a journey back to myself because I was so destructive and like, I didn't process things to the point where I was just 
constantly not honoring myself and letting myself down. And so there was no trust there. I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust my actions. So, you know, my self-belief, my self-confidence was always really low. And again, like I, I, in some relationships, I'd become codependent. But for the most part, I feel like with my my family members, I was definitely displaying the, the opposite, which was extreme independence. And so I think for me, I, I'm learning to build back up my self-belief and build back up my my self-confidence. And that was my that was part of my healing journey is to like start trusting myself again because I let myself down for so long by not talking about it. Yeah, totally. I can totally relate to that. Oh my God. That was was a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And it's like, it seems like such a, such a phrase. It's so deep, you know, it's like in the Soma it's there and it's not going to go away until we actually allow ourselves to like experience (laughs) <laughs> you can't just tell yourself to trust. And it takes time, like, to heal yeah. that. And, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. too, the, Janelle and my relationship is probably one of the most unique that I've experienced. And maybe the reason why I'm addressing a lot of the things that I am right now and and trying to figure out how I own the PTSD is that we are creating a, a community and a podcast around being your authentic self, like living yeah. your true north. And yeah. <laughs> it requires both of us to, to walk that walk and to really walk that walk means that when either of us act in ways that are just like kind of nasty, we have to talk about it. And as I drill down, it's like, I couldn't keep spinning a story. Not, I don't feel like I really spun a story with her, but I couldn't keep hiding what was happening. And so I had to pull back the curtain and be like, okay, look, I am addressing this like really intense trauma recovery right now and like so I don't know I it's almost like I well, don't she know definitely I, had to give the, she definitely you know created a space for you to feel comfortable mm-hmm. and felt free to be vulnerable totally. so yeah I think what was fun about the, well not I don't know fun but <laughs> <laughs> when you and I had those conversations too it's like you would tell me that and you'd be like I don't know how to do this I don't know how to approach it either and and I'd be like the same way it's like I don't I really know how to do this either but I think the key with it too is that we both just keep showing up even if we both feel like we don't know what we're doing or it's like not yeah you know because like we're talking about it it's like it's not always held perfectly either right like there are times that I'm sure Rachel has shared stuff with me I mean I know their husband and probably vice versa where we talk about it and it's not handled like the ideal way right it might even like trigger the person even more but I think the beautiful part of it is like being able to acknowledge those things and work through them imperfectly and still knowing that we're coming back yeah can you actually share a little bit more Janelle about the overlap of experiences you had that help you like find a connection with Rachel's experience yeah I mean what we've really found I think just in general with podcast and then even in our own lives is Rachel is what almost a decade older than me like we've had all these different experiences but yet wherever we are in our lives like there always seems to be some sort of like parallel or overlap that is happening and that's 
probably true, I think, for a lot of people in relationships. So I had mentioned earlier the even like the burden piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had been, you know, back in my parents' house, like processing just a lot of things from my childhood, not related to like a childhood illness or anything like that. But like being back in that space and being like, wow, like I have realized that because for me, it was like, I was just very much of like kind of the black sheep of the family. Right. And, you know, they, and I have an amazing loving family, of course, but like, I was trying to reprocess, like, what does it look like for me to be this person that's chosen a different path and like coming back to my family. And I had said, like, I've, I feel like I'm a burden sometimes. Like, I feel like my choices and decisions about how I live my life makes me other or like makes people like uncomfortable or whatever it is mm-hmm. and again talking about something completely different for Rachel was like wow you just like validated you know like x amount of years of my life and I think we find like so many of those parallels that inform yeah we did not have the same experience but the emotions behind it and like the the shame the anxiety the you know even the happy emotions like there's a connection piece there even if our stories and experiences are different mm-hmm. and like that, I think for us has always been a way that we are able to tap into each other's stories, mm-hmm. even if they are very different. Yeah. And have some sort of empathy and understanding. And self-compassion or yeah, compassion in sure. general. And I'll shout out our guests too, because I think being able to hear our guests talk about stuff, that's where Janelle and I started to realize like, oh my gosh, you're talking about this other thing over here that we thought we couldn't possibly understand Mm-hmm. about being true to yourself and the form like I've never experienced that I will never experience that and you'll never experience what I've experienced but we're like all three of us are totally relating right now and like yeah in our own it, unique way yeah, yeah yeah and yeah. so I think that has also I, and I'm speaking for Janelle but for me that's helped to be able to recognize the common humanity across all of it and so It's allowed me to build more bridges with people and to be able to consider other perspectives as to why somebody might be where they are without it being tied to the specific story of like, oh, I'm just going to like, you know, nitpick this specific story. But really, I'm like, oh, well, I actually have heard a lot of reasons why people act that way. And so maybe I'll just get curious right now. Right. Just like judge the shit out of them. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm 100%. I'm, I'm really trying to check my ego at the door more and I'm doing it quite successfully. Every time I hear like a thought that comes in that feels like judgmental at all, I turn towards it and I question it and tell myself like, who are you to judge someone else? Even if it's a character in a movie, sometimes I'm just like, oh, Sayla, don't be like that. Like, you don't know this person. Like, and it's just a character in a movie, you know, like, why are you bringing this into your subconscious? But uh, last question, because I know I'm, I've been keeping you um, and I'll, we'll have both of you answer this one at a time. But what advice would you ladies give people who are currently going through something like this or know someone going through something like this that can help them find the courage to hold space for these types of conversations? I can go first. Go ahead, Janelle. I was just going to say from the, like, the friend perspective, I think just being honest, like, if you're nervous about messing up the conversation, just being like, hey, I love you. I care about you. I don't necessarily know how to do this right, but I'm here for you. And, like, let's figure out how I can do that in the most supportive way or maybe it's nothing but I just want you to know I'm here for you so even just like being able to approach the conversation and not 
not necessarily expecting another person to have an answer, right? Like they might not know how you can be there for them either. But I, and Rachel, in both of you actually, maybe, you know, you can see how that feels for you. Mm-hmm. But I think having just the courage to like address it just takes also some of the burden potentially off the other person too, to be like, ooh, like, do I have to figure it out? Just be like, hey, I'm here. Like, if you want to talk about it, if you ever want to open up, like, I, you know, I am here. And if they never do, that's fine too. Like, be, uh, you know, detached from it. But I think that, that sounds pretty good helpful. to me. And then just the cherry on top would be a hug after so that I know, like, sure. a warm embrace. Sometimes <laughs> that's like, some people need the physical embrace to feel safe. For sure. Yeah. What about you, Rachel? Oh. <laughs> I, I have like, <laughs> the reason I said that is I have like, to prepare for this, I had like written all this stuff down of like, what I wish I could have told the people in my life, so that maybe they would have known how to show up differently. But like, honestly, each person's so different that it feels to me like, if there's a way for everyone to just be able to meet each person as like a fresh um, experience and not assume anything. And like, I, because like, you mean like approach could, from a place of curiosity or yeah, maybe it's like, cause like the way that I might want somebody to support me is going to be different than the yeah. way somebody else does. Okay. And, and to assume that one cancer patient has the answer for all of them, you know, it's almost like yeah. totally outsourcing the experience that you could have <sighs> by just yeah. showing up with somebody and being like and you'd probably know that person better than any like just a random cancer patient who just gave you advice totally but like I mean (laughs) be willing to say I don't know but I'm here you know like just be honest okay and the other thought that I had was like don't over promise like that doesn't do anything good for anyone if you don't know how you're going to be able to be there for somebody don't just go in there guns ablazing like I'm going to be there and I love you. And I want to da da da. Cause way worse when like, like that's a big thing to live up to. So like literally just showing up and being like, I don't really know what to do, but I'm here. Mm-hmm. And then allowing it to kind of be co-created, I think is a lot more powerful versus just making all these like promises and then, you know, dropping away. And then the person's left being like, did I do something? Yeah. Like, do you hate me? What? So that's true. Well, ladies, I really appreciate you both imparting your wisdom on me today and helping all of us better understand the experience of someone who has gone through childhood sickness. Before you go, though, I always like to ask, please, can you let us know where people can find you online? Want me to take this one, Rachel? Yeah, you got it, Janelle. Go for it. Cool. So we're most active on Instagram at the True North Collective underscore. So that's a great way to follow us, see what we're up to. And um, we also have a website, thetruenorthcollective.org, which we do quite a few events now every single month. The first Thursday, we do workshops on authenticity. And then um, that is something that you can purchase online and then we also have our free community event which is a gathering of you know fellow travelers that are just wanting to have conversations on how you find and live your true north and that happens the third thursday of every month so there's just like a few places that people can come play with us or or see what we're doing very cool and i put all your links and stuff in the show notes which you can access through the description of this episode so you can get all that quick links 
easily. But thank you girls for coming. I really appreciate you taking the time and thank you for sharing your story and being so vulnerable. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It was so nice to meet you. (laughs) Take care, hon. so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Is That So podcast. For more information on this episode and all past episodes, you can check out my show notes on isthatso.com or follow me on Instagram at isthatso. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show your personal support to the podcast, simply leave a review on iTunes or screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your stories. All right, friends, that's it. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Is That So podcast. And I look forward to hanging out with you again soon.